a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Chewie, we're home. <laughs> Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 4. The Jedi Path. Welcome to Episode 4 of Dorkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts in religion, faith, theology, spirituality. And in this episode, it's all about Star Wars. This is a very fortunately numbered episode. No, we planned this to be episode oh, four right. the yes. whole time. Absolutely. That would be uh, Providence at work. Mmm. <laughs> but from A New Hope to The Force Awakens, there's a ton of material appropriate for this type of examination. We aren't going to talk about it all. After all, there have been many, many books written about philosophy and religious symbolism and so forth, theology of Star Wars. We're just going to pick and choose a few topics. Some things that sort of stand out to us and maybe haven't gotten quite as much discussion. But before we delve into that topic, let's talk about our Star Wars origin stories. And for me, remember the movie came out in May of 1977, and I was living outside the United States at the time. I did not return from Thailand until July of 1978. And based on people who like, were coming from the U.S. that summer, or just communications with friends, we knew, even though we hadn't seen it, we knew that Star Wars was a big deal. Students at the International School had brought in the Time and Newsweek articles that focused on the movie. But... It took a while for us to see it. It never hit the theaters in that time in in Thailand. But we did get a chance to see it at some point. My sister and I, as best as we can remember, put this probably in the spring of 78. We were reminiscing about Star Wars at Thanksgiving. But I don't totally trust our memories to recall the exact details. But someone's father got a copy of the movie on video. There was a rumor that it may have come through a diplomatic pouch to the U.S. Embassy. And I really want that one to be true. (laughs) Yes. But it may have just, you know, been an international businessman father on a business trip. No, No, because that is vital. 
to the national enrichment of American citizenry, regardless of true. what country that they live true. in. So I hope it came in the secure diplomatic pouch. Uh, but again, it was just a videotape, and, and the school you know, maybe had a 19-inch TV to show it on, so they had to do it in shifts. And basically, the seniors got to watch it on Monday of that week after school, and the juniors on Tuesday, like my sister, etc. And then I was thinking back about this, and probably because of the weekend... Us poor 7th graders didn't get a chance to see it until Monday of the second week. And that meant that I got tormented by my older sister for almost a full week, throwing out quotes and references, and if there had been memes in the late 70s, she would have been memeing me. Things that only she could understand. Leaving your poor, pitiful, put-upon brother totally in the dark. Hey, Alan. Hey, Alan. Use the force. The what? Hey, 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 you're Ben Kenobi. What? Exactly. Oh, no! Older sisters, they are the worst. Yes. Yes, they are. And there are plenty of people of my generation who are big Star Wars fans. Because this little thing called uh, the second trilogy, or as my mom calls it, didn't happen <laughs> our position is not prequel bashing it's prequel ignoring mm-hmm. that's <laughs> totally different i think it's a good stance the prequels were a thing and star wars mania was everywhere and i've often heard people say other geeks star wars or star trek like you love one of the two mm-hmm. and i kind of picked neither yeah, I watched a good amount of Star Trek as a kid, but I never saw Star Wars when I was really little right. and didn't really have any interest in seeing the prequel trilogy. Why? Because that same year, a little thing called The Lord of the Rings happened. And if I wanted a, a sweeping, epic trilogy that completely consumed my waking thoughts, changed my opinion of filmmaking, totally blew my mind... I felt that was the way to go. And I think for folks in your general age demographic, early to mid to late 20s, Lord of the Rings is your Star Wars, Mm -hmm. in a sense. And I know probably the movie, quote-unquote, that you've seen the most in your life would be one of the special features, probably, off of, or a a commentary version of one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, it would probably be... Disc one of the special features of the extended cut four disc two towers box edition. Yeah. <laughs> I have watched that entire disc in its entirety, just sat down and watched it probably fifty or sixty times. Yeah. The special features. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Not the film. So I think in terms of a movie that just blows your mind shifted my paradigms completely changed my opinion of what a film could be and was my first fandom that just sucked right. me in and consumed my life wasn't, was Lord, Lord of the Rings. Wasn't there some Lord of the Rings fanfic play that you guys oh were doing gosh, at yes, your there school was. for a number of years? Yes, and there was. It's, uh, just as an example mm-hmm. of the community, it just everyone in your group 
that was, was fixated on Lord of the Rings. That was the fanzines, fanfics, mm-hmm. fan art, fan videos, memes. Right. All of that stuff was not Star Wars. It was Lord of the Rings. One does not just walk into Lord of the Rings. What? <laughs> exactly. Trying to, a, trying to do a Sean B. meme here. Okay, help me out. Ah. Uh. One does not simply watch Lord of the Rings. One sells one's soul to Peter Jackson. <laughs> and wallet. And hours and hours of one's life. But that that actually is one of the similarities. Is that it is really a singular vision mm-hmm. from one small group of people. I mean, and, one person heading up a pretty small team. And, again, and the just, comparison to Lucas is certainly there. It is, it's different because it's an adaptation. But that is Peter Jackson's vision. Indeed. And... One of the big the big criticisms that people who are Star Trek, not Star Wars, have is it's not a science fiction story. It's a fantasy space right. epic. Mm-hmm. And fantasy space epics or just your standard middle European fantasy epics, right. neither one of those were really big market shares. Those, those weren't <laughs> big box office breaking genres. In their respective times, both of those, Fellowship of the Ring and Star Wars, end of story, (laughs) Star Wars, end quotes, both came out of nowhere and just like blew the records off of everything. And to some extent created created a new genre or a new respect for their genres. Mm -hmm. They were groundbreaking and genre changing and culture shaping. Mm Epics. I'm even thinking about the technology of movie making that each one had a had a really serious impact in. Mm-hmm. So when did you first see Star Wars, do you think? We have some DVDs. I know for a fact we... when it was, mm-hmm. because my mom, mm-hmm. being not a geek parent, but a good parent who is an 80s child through and through, would not allow me to go to college without having sat down and watched the complete, unedited, original, theatrical cut of Star Wars. All three. Just sit down, watch exactly. these before you go to college. I'm not going to have that on my conscience as, you know, taking away parenting points. And I thank her for this. <laughs> to speak of another big, sweeping, epic culture behemoth, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Neither of these things did I experience during the target age, which is really right. 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I have good feelings towards both, but I don't have that nostalgic, deep-seated, passionate love right. for the thing that other people of my generation do. So you did not need The Force Awakens to restore, to rekindle feelings of love. To there, there, There was not the need for it to hit that those nostalgic beats no. that it did for folks of my age and maybe even folks of the prequel era. No, but what it meant was that it was my first in theater right. theatrical moment. Which everyone else had had once or twice before. Right. right. That was my that was my first time and I just about fell out of my chair with how awesome that opening is. <laughs> That was a great experience. You, me, and Mom. All getting to have that moment again. It was Uh like I traveled back to 1977. (laughs) So, let's talk a little bit about our thoughts on The Force Awakens. And we are late to the party on reviewing the movie via podcast. But, 
I'm thinking our listeners have probably forgotten what all those other podcasters said like months ago. There's two theories on this. There is search engine optimization bandwagon jumping. <laughs> and there's you and me. We get around cool to kids it get here last. <laughs> so I'm thinking this is sort of like brand new analysis. Yeah, exactly. For everyone who's forgotten the analysis from late December and early January. And do we even need to say this? Spoilers? I guess. You've seen this. Even if you haven't. Even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you've seen Star Wars. That's true. We're going to spoil all the movies. All four of them. Exactly. Okay, all seven. And there were things I did not like about the movie. But the things that I didn't like were much less important to me than the things I really, really liked. It's not that I discount some of the common criticisms. I just don't assign them a lot of points in, 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 it doesn't, in, in it, terms of the final grade. Yeah, the rubric does not is weighted against them. So, yes, the plot mirrored the original movie way too much for my taste. And does every big bad weapon have to pretty much be a Death Star? We never said that the Empire was smart. That is true. Okay. Okay, let's... That's actually not a bad argument. They don't learn from their mistakes. We have many movies proving (laughs) that they they do not learn from their mistakes. You know, I'm going to chalk that one up. Uh, We had, you know, Captain Phasma wasn't used all that much. Even Poe wasn't used all that much. And I'm not so sure about Snoke as, as the big bad guy. I just really, really want the reveal of Snoke to be that he's one of like Yoda's race because he's in the giant thirty-five I e- foot. I either want tall. him to be two feet tall or actually be about thirty-five feet tall. He one can't or the other. be a dude. normal no. dude, human, no. humanoid proportions. No, I just I really need that to happen. I need him to be like a third the size of Ben Solo because I need the evil recreation of the Yoda backpack. <laughs> I demand it. This movie is all about references. That I need is, that. I mean, that's true. I, mean, I I do want episode eight to go a little different direction, mm-hmm. both from seven and from Empire. Yes. I mean, we, we do need something, something a little bit different. But I think we've certainly set that up. But like I said, if I'm calculating the grade, those negatives that I have, they're kind of like the equivalent of, a couple homework assignments and maybe a quiz where the things that I really like are the term paper and the final exam. Yeah. The things that count a lot heavier in the final grade. I really liked the new cast. Yeah. Especially Daisy Ridley. She is what so good. A find in terms of a performance. And yes, the character's good, but her performance just elevates it. Uh, Absolutely. It really stands out. And let's be honest, Star Wars are not necessarily known for great individual acting performances. To put it kindly, there are a few really bad ones that we could mention, but we're not going to. No. But Daisy Ridley in particular stood out, I thought, as a nuanced, subtle, commanding actress. She was a fantastic lead and a fantastic lead I actress. So too. I really like those sections early in the movie that focused on her mm-hmm. and really just on her on her life, on her existence. 
And there was not a lot of dialogue in those. I mean, she was carrying that part of the film really based on her performance. Certainly the setting, and there were other things that were certainly helping. Uh, you know, but she was carrying a critical part of that movie, that beginning, that, that introduction mm-hmm. to this new world. All of it through face acting. A lot of it, yes. Yes. Finn and Poe? Very good. I like them. Uh, I, as far as a space trio goes, they make not a, a pre- bad one. They make a pretty good smuggler, princess, and farm boy. I'm not saying who is who. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, hey, now, I do think obviously there's some th- there there are some questions to be answered, mm-hmm. mostly about her, uh, but also about Finn and the idea of rebelling against the stormtroopers mm-hmm. rebelling in that way i thought was really interesting yeah i think there's some you know, potential you know, questions about continuity in star wars and how can that happen all that but i think it's a great plot point i think mm-hmm. it's a great concept and there's certainly some things to fill in about poe we certainly don't know much about him i believe that uh, that poe dameron is getting a ongoing comic book that's supposed to take place before. I was actually just going to mention this, that frankly, I would 100% be down, not for solo films, mm-hmm. <laughs> solo, as they are doing with the possibility of a Han Solo prequel right. film that they're sort of kicking around, sure. which would sort of be in the era of like the Star Wars Rebels show that's going on now. Right. That's interesting. I don't think any of the three leads stories could sustain a movie but i would be really down for like three 20 minute short stories that was their sort of background or their childhood or leading up to these events so hopefully we'll either see that those stories in comic books or novels or we'll get flashbacks in the next two movies obviously ray and maybe finn as well but certainly ray has a background that you can't tell a prequel. Yeah, because the yet. movies the, the <laughs> movies will be revealing those aspects. Yeah. But Poe to me that's, you know, great the the idea of in this case the comic book series or even a novel series telling the early life of Poe. Mm-hmm. Certainly you, you wouldn't be spoiling some of those the beats that yeah. you're trying to you're trying to keep hidden. But things like that could answer again some of the unanswered questions like what is the role of the First Order versus the Rebellion? And how did exactly did this fall from the Republic and the Empire? There's sort of some political questions that I assume, again, fingers crossed, Episode 8 mm-hmm. will answer some of those questions. But certainly that those are the types of topics that can be addressed yeah. in a Poe prequel situation. I might actually pick that book up. Depends. If it's going to be three ninety nine. I might not. Yeah. If they, in all likelihood, jack up the price to four ninety nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will be waiting on the trades. <laughs> I also liked another important member of the old cast, the Millennium, Millennium Falcon, Falcon. <laughs> as well as you know Han and Chewie and Leia, whoever. But I love seeing the Falcon. That that was a great reveal. Oh, so the the garbage will do. Exactly, and that is possibly the most useful gif that we have been <laughs> gifted by that film. And I was very moved at Han's death. Likewise. I felt that it was probably coming. I had heard the spoiler-free, things are going to happen that are going to make you lose your mind. There's a one thing, and you're going to 
you're going to cry, you're going to scream, you're going to all of this. So we, I'm like, we know that Harrison Ford wanted this in Empire, <laughs> much less. Yeah. yeah. So I, I sort s- of in the big picture, not a surprise. But man, did but it still just, affecting? It just killed me. And I think the most important thing you can say about a movie like this is I want to see what happens next. Now, it's possible that if they don't answer the question satisfactorily in 8 and or 9, that you could theoretically go back and sort of re- down, downgrade 7 yeah. a little bit. But as it stands, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Mm, agreed. Every, everyone was doing their ranking. I'm not going to go into details, but this may have been my third favorite. Of the seven movies. I think, That's all I'm going to say. I think, regardless of what your one and two is, three or four is just about where this belongs, yeah. in the, the upper half. But what we're really here to talk about is not our thoughts on The Force Awakens, or our Star Wars or effects, histories, the fix, the important, uh, groundbreaking movies of our lives. We're here to talk about some of the theological and religious topics that arise from thinking about Star Wars. And like we've said, there have been books written on the topic. If you Google theology in Star Wars or religion of Star Wars or some combination, you will get hundreds of articles, multiple videos, books, blog posts. A wealth of knowledge. Wealth of opinions, knowledge, and thoughts out there, so... We have the luxury of just picking the ones that we really want to talk about. And I think for me, for starters, I don't think George Lucas had an agenda in mind no. in terms of religion. That, that he was trying to promote or push or something like that. Or, or even that there's a, a systematic theology at work in the films beyond there being a battle of good and evil. Ideas of the Force and the Jedi, these sorts of things, were really about taking fantasy tropes mm-hmm. of wizards and prophecy and the chosen one and putting it in a you know sci-fi space epic setting. So I think to look for a specific message as some of the blogs and posts and books that I've looked at do is is it is it is a misnomer. It, it's a bit of a fool's errand or yeah. something. I mean, you know, a movie like Avatar I think is quite preachy. Yeah. Not a religious message, but is preachy in terms of its of its message, much more so than anything in Star Wars is, I think. Again, most of these elements that we'll talk about are really plot points or world building to sort of get the story told that he wants to tell. But that doesn't mean they're not worth talking about. Right. Absolutely. And I think we start with the big one, the Force. And we do get ideas of the power of the Force. Early on, Darth Vader compares the power of the Force to the power of the Death Star. He says, don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. So we get the idea that this Force thing, which is part religion, part philosophy, part tradition, part culture, I mean, it has elements of, of all of those in it. Right. And as far but as... But to the practitioner, to the believer, it is a very powerful force. As far as fulfilling our need for space wizards in this mm-hmm. fantasy right. drama you know it, it fills the role of magic mm-hmm. but what it's it's drawing from is a very taoist buddhist concept right. of 
the path, the way, the flows of energy throughout the universe, or as it is indeed translated at times, the force. <laughs> right. It is the, the formless things that exist beyond the material world. One of the blog posts that I thought was interesting had the idea that if you go into the Star Wars movies, broadly speaking, as a Buddhist, you can see this is congruent with Buddhism. Mm -hmm. If you go in as a Hindu or if you go in as a Christian, you can find elements in it that you can identify with. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, that's because it's sort of generic. Yeah. It's sort of vaguely New Agey, vaguely Eastern, a little Hindu and a little Buddhist and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's that sort of uh, philosophical synthesis that they're trying for. There is something there for everyone. Mm -hmm. If Lucas maybe has a philosophy, it might be that sort of all religions spring from a common sociological need or or common elements, which I think is, is a little bit of Campbell. Yeah. As well. Oh, that, that's, very you know, much that's so. That's part of the heroes with a thousand faces, heroes' journey. Idea is that there's the monomyth that there is there right. is a single story or a a single path of right. storytelling, right. which gives uh, meaningful, fulfilling understandings mm-hmm. of the universe to people. Right, and that manifests in religions as mm-hmm. well as in epic poetry Myth, and various other yes legend. Now, obviously, there's a comparison of the force to the Holy Spirit in which, terms of Christianity, but which, frankly, it's, I think it is a, it's a, it's a, it doesn't yes. track. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit is thought of as much more personal. So there's a personal aspect yeah, of that, just which, in general, distinguishes Christianity from these other. That is one of the distinctions from other versions of the monomyth is right. the personal nature and the force doesn't seem to have that aspect to it. And this is frankly why I get a little bit annoyed with people looking for Judeo-Christian themes in Star Wars. And it's one of the problems that I have with the prequels, is that the original trilogy is very much this Buddhist Mm -hmm. conceptual thing. And you can see it as more of a a New Agey open type of of worldview. But it's, it's very much based in that admittedly kind of surface level understanding of quote-unquote, Eastern religions. The prequels are much more Judeo-Christian. There's there's a a little bit more chosen one. There's a more messianic. And uh, frankly, there's some interesting stuff to look at there in the prequels of following the story of Anakin Mm -hmm. to the end, only to realize that he's not Moses, he's Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's an interesting thing there, and there's a whole, you know... Fall from grace, destiny, can it be avoided? You know, there's there's interesting stuff to talk about there. I find myself more annoyed with it when it shows up <laughs> in Star Wars because as formulaic mm-hmm. as we might think Star Wars is or as grab bag as its theology is, it is actually a consistent theology. Maybe not consistently Buddhist or consistently Hindu, but right. internally consistent. And then the prequels happened, yeah. and all of a sudden there's chosen ones and prophecies. and Which, it, again, are common fantasy elements as well. Yes. So he was sort of cranking up the fantasy, though he was throwing in some sci-fi with... We speak not of the evil. That which must not be uttered. 
Now, one very distinctive aspect of the philosophy or religion of the Force is the idea of the light side and the dark side. And that's a very dualistic idea, a Gnostic concept, or it's, it's certainly evident in many real-world religions. I use that term because it's also very common in religions developed in fantasy settings yes. as well, this idea of a dualism. The idea being that good and evil are equally powerful terms, whether they're thought of as twin brothers or splitting existence down the middle, splitting the world, having equally powerful domains or dominions. Or to bring this back to our our Taoist discussion, the yin and the yang. Exactly. This is one of the places, the dark and the light side of the force. This is one of the places where the Buddhism falls through a little bit and the monomyth hero culture Western conceptions of good and evil kind of veers in that yin and yang are equal and opposite, but not conflicting. Whereas the, the light and dark side of the force are actively at war with one another, or at least that's how it appears to be. And that is tying in obviously a little bit more to what would be a biblical view of God and the adversary though in the traditional Judeo, Judeo Judeo-Christian view, they're not on equal footings. Right. Um, you know, Lucifer as a fallen angel, even the most beautiful, powerful fallen angel, is sti- not still a created, yeah. still a created being, and the, doomed to failure. And doomed to failure, so, you know, being under God's ultimate authority. In terms of dualism, I wanted to veer off a little bit and just give an example of one of my favorite examples of dualism in a fantasy series. It's in the novel series by Piers Anthony called The Incarnations of Immortality. And the series revolves around human beings being called into action to personify certain things. And the, the five books are about fate, death, time, war, and nature. That these are the five incarnations. But after those five books, Piers Anthony added a few more because he is famous for having trilogies that are four, five, eight, ten, twelve <laughs> books long. And he came up with Good and Evil for the sixth and the seventh book. And Good and Evil are presented as equals, so, it's, so it is a totally dualistic approach. So it turns out that they agreed, Good and Evil, or God and the Devil, agreed just to let humanity be, you know, to stay out, to... So a non-interference clause that they are so powerful. But the great part of the story was that good God was honest and honorable and lived up to that side of the bargain, while the devil is a liar. So you, you look back over the course of the books and you see every time he interfered, he brought in discord and disruption and decay, and he brought in temptation and I just thought that was a great take on dualism because you had two beings sort of equal in power but significantly different in character. And I just thought that was that was terrific. So, But end of sidetrack. Okay. We can actually bring that back around because I think that's a really cool concept. And a thing that I have been questioned about a little bit because 
even Star Wars fans, <laughs> and some of them knowing I am not a Star Wars fan, I am not a full-time Star War, will occasionally say, well, but what's really the difference between the Jedi and the Sith? <laughs> what is a Jedi mind trick if not a violation of free will? What's the difference between these are not the droids you're looking for and the little things that Mr. Kilgrave does in Jessica Jones? Well, according to him, he's cooler than Obi-Wan Kenobi. That false. is true, but... 100% what? false. Is it just the intention that separates Obi-Wan from Kilgrave? They seem to have the same power. And... That actually comes, comes back around the long way to tie into Buddhist philosophy. In Buddhism, action, frankly regardless of mm-hmm. its intention, isn't really a good thing. One of the primary tenets of Taoism is the concept of Wu Wei, which is a lot of times translated as something like intentional non-action. But it's really better expressed or maybe differently expressed, more poetically expressed, as a result which does not require cause, it's simplified in Star Wars to mm-hmm. balance. We've got right. to bring balance to the Force. Which, in actuality, isn't really a defeat one side or even make the two sides equal. It's about being able to live in harmony in a very hippy-dippy sort of way <laughs> to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. To, that's, that's why Tao can be translated as the current, to be moved with the river, to change with the river, to adapt mm-hmm. to the society that is around you and that you are participating in. Things like the Jedi mind trick are ways of avoiding action. Mm-hmm. Are ways of letting things continue as though they had not been there. Leaving a ripple mm-hmm. in the river without throwing anything. Mm-hmm. Of being able to avoid interactions or right. avoid conflict or avoid really taking any sort of action. Because as we know, Obi-Wan is not above whipping out a lightsaber and taking somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. It's not Star Wars without dismemberment. <laughs> so... Taking up arms, fighting somebody. Like, you know, they are far from pacifists. The point is to engage with the world around you kind of as little as possible. We, we dropped Gnostic when we mm-hmm. talked about dualism when you were first defining right. it. Gnosticism has a very specific take on dualism, which is a separation between material and immaterial. Right. That anything that has to do with the material is bad. It's a thing to be avoided at all costs. And that is food, love, murder. These all fall into mm-hmm. the same category right. of things that are fleshly, things mm-hmm. that engage your physical body as opposed to things which engage your spirit and are more intellectual or internal. Prayer. Contemplation, solitude, silence, some of those characteristics which, or qualities to be pursued. Which, with Christianity, does not gel at all. There's a reason that uh, Gnostics are not Christians. Mm-hmm. 
It's where it was one of the first big food fights. Yes. Within uh, within the faith, one of the early, very early thoughts, concepts, ideas of this new faith that was declared outside the guardrails. Mm-hmm. I like this interpretation that you bring of balance, but the idea of balance between good and evil. Clearly, in the Star Wars movies, these are considered one is good and one is bad. Yes. And the idea of balancing the good and the bad, I have a natural spiritual recoil to. Right. You you shouldn't balance good and bad. Good needs to defeat bad. Right. So even this idea of the prophecy of someone bringing balance to the force and that being considered a positive is outside of my frame of reference. But as you're saying, there are other frames of reference where that may be more accepted or more common. And if you look at the seven thus far Mm -hmm. chronological Star Wars films, it is Three generations of Skywalkers, I'm counting Ben Solo, Mm -hmm. failing to fulfill the prophecy. That is true. Because one takes violent, dramatic, deadly action and utterly ruins any sort of order in the universe. It's just gone. He, He, the world descends into chaos as a result of him. Or Anakin's actions in the prequels designed to stop the prophecy or they designed to fulfill the prophecy? They're... I think to fulfill, probably, right? And there have been people who say, like, well, you know, before Anakin, one Sith, 300 well, yeah, Jedi. Yeah, after Anakin, I, one yeah. Sith, one Jedi. Seems pretty balanced to me. Well, I, I was just thinking in terms of biblical comparisons. Yeah. Ideas of the slaughter of the innocents as a way to attempt to stop a prophecy so either way if you think about it as him trying to stop that or trying to fulfill it you certainly there are echoes there Mm -hmm. but the point is that regardless of what his intentions were exactly what he did was a violent Mm -hmm. reaction he took action he he rocked the boat he changed things up and that was not the point the next trilogy is a Skywalker trying to fix what has happened right. in the previous generation by bringing back order, by reunifying the Jedi and recreating the Jedi Council, by going out and actively cultivating mm-hmm. a new generation of Jedi. This also does not work because the third generation of Skywalkers, <laughs> in an attempt to stop the second generation, is repeating the actions. This is the point of balance. That what we're seeing as a result is a swinging of the pendulum. Right. Back and forth. Violently. Back and forth. Back and forth from one extreme to the other. And the the Buddhist ideal of this would not be to stop the pendulum on one side or the other. Because then you've got all of this potential energy, in a way, s- stored up. That there's going to be a reaction to mm-hmm. it. Right. It's to try and bring that to the middle. So there the pendulum be, can stop swinging. Or if it swings in slow, mm-hmm. small, creating as few ripples as possible. 
One of the things we've talked about over on Shortbox Showcase a lot, I do not believe we've talked about it on Darkness to Light, and although we have some listeners here who don't listen to our other shows, I want to mention that in general we subscribe to an idea that the intention of a work is not irrelevant is 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 irrelevant to how we interpret it and i want to go back to something you you were talking about there Mm -hmm. it's probably intentional this idea of the generational saga i can see that do we think that this repetition of this great theme that you're seeing may have influenced impacted the reason why the stories at the granular level are so similar? Does that question even make sense? Sort of. I mean, you're saying they're parallels that the actions of this trilogy, you know, sort of repeating some of the actions of prior trilogies. If they thought thematically that's part of what they were doing, was that maybe, or maybe even some justification of repeating some common elements even? Or weird coincidence, or... We're finding something that wasn't intended. I don't know. I think that Star Wars is a franchise with a formula that works. That is true. And if the PR executive from (laughs) Lucasfilms Incorporated is listening to this, you are free to use my justification. Please send the royalty (laughs) check care of Alan Middleton. Thank you. That's nice. So go straight into your graduate school fund. I was, work out. I was gonna say we we need a patron for this podcast. Buy us an actual go. recording booth. We could be sponsored by Lucasfilm. That would be okay. We are one hundred percent pro selling out. We are for sale. So I would say it is intentional, the same way that the monomyth is intentional. Right. That right. you can you can draw any line right. and hit some right. of those parallels. But I do think it's interesting. Yes. And I think that. It's part of why I don't discount or hate the prequel trilogy, though I don't like them. Right. I don't have love for them the way people of some people some of my generation, generation do, do, because they were like nine to twelve ish when they came out. Or and the loathing that some from my generation do. I think that it's better to have a balanced Ooh. and accepting view so that it can exist without right. disturbing me. There you find peace. <laughs> okay, let's bring it out of my crazy talk up in the ether. Bring it maybe back down to a little more practical that I can grasp onto, much less our listeners who probably just drove into a ditch over the last five minutes. <laughs> let's talk just a little bit about the Jedi, the idea of space monks. Yes, peek behind the curtain that was the original title of this episode (laughs) except that we have other examples of space monks and space nuns that we might want to talk about in a different episode and didn't want to burn that title spoilers but we have this religious body Mm -hmm. that is also somehow a ruling body yeah i'm a little unclear actually the role purposely kind of muddy as to what sort of entity is the Jedi Council? Do what they, what are they in charge of? Do they affect are they part of the republic? Do they have government? Are they Do they it, do they have, you know, an advocate on the Senate? 
does the Jedi Council have elected political officials? Or is it Mimbari from Babylon 5, where you have worker caste and religious caste and warrior caste, where you have the religious people identified as a group and they are part of the ruling council? I don't know that we ever got that answer because we got the Senate as power. Right. Obviously then becoming the Empire. and then, But we also have this Jedi Council. Yeah. What exactly are they, do you think? And just in general, some thoughts on Jedi. Jedi are the perfect, prototypical, pan-cultural <laughs> monk. Because we get quite a few hermits. You right. got Yoda? You got Ben Kenobi. You got Luke Skywalker. Off on his rock, next to the rock, next to the rock, <laughs> next to the land, in the middle of the ocean, five billion light years away from everyone else. To get back to the, the Force, Awakens. Force Awakens review, that there were two great moments of them letting the movie breathe. Mm. Oh, yeah. Of slowing down the pace. And obviously, Ray's... Long climb, long, long climb, climb was, and I that totally worked for me. I don't know if it, it if it really was five minutes. It seemed like it may have been five. It seemed like it was fifteen minutes. It was it probably, probably about two and a half. Yeah, it was probably a couple of minutes, but after the fast pace, to have that slow, slow process, it gave you opportunity for some beautiful visuals, of course. But I just loved slowing down the pace, and there was a similar scene early in the movie of her on the desert planet. It's the scene where she basically rides down the sand dune. And that was a slow, languid shot. And I appreciate them in those two cases really taking their time. And since we already mentioned my love of special features (laughs) and filmmaking uh, explanations, I am a person who's fairly aware of things like movement or uh, lines mm-hmm. within the context of a, a a scene. And if you take those two lines, they actually connect. She comes from the top left corner mm. on the desert and rides down into the center. And then at the end, starts from the center and starts a long arc back up to the top right See, of the frame. That is even more subtle than Peter Jackson always having the hobbits walk from left to right. Like whatever scene, whatever angle, they were always moving left to right. That's even more subtle, though, I, which I did not know. So, so there's a connection between those two. There's scenes. your filmmaking tip of the day. <laughs> but since you mentioned Jakku and the opening on mm-hmm. the the desert planet, we did get the great line from Poe: "Why does everyone want to go back to Jakku? It's just a big ball of sand." <laughs> but I really think there is something about the great Jedi Masters Mm. being found in the desert. That's where Ben Kenobi goes to get away. That's where Luke comes from. That's where Rey comes from. That's where the great Jedi can be found is in the wilderness. What are the first great group of fathers of the Christian church are the desert fathers. There's something there. St. Anthony in particular, but there, there is something about that setting Mm -hmm. about being completely alone in a very Taoist, in a very christian Mm -hmm. in a very varied religious Mm -hmm. context 
But there is something about solitude and desolation and emptiness Mm -hmm. which allows connection with divinity. There is a voices crying out in the desert Mm -hmm. feeling that that is where you are where you are contacted is in the places where you can meditate where it is empty and open and quiet and you are entirely alone that's where you find the force mm-hmm. and certainly you know, we talked about sort of the eastern influences and there's certainly some of that even with the jedi but of course as he said many of the major religions have monks mm-hmm. you know there's again there's something about those choices, that lifestyle, the ascetic aesthetic. Oh, good job. That appeals to practitioners of a range of faiths. Mm-hmm. And this really is, in a way, at odds with the concept of the Jedi Order. That the yep. Jedi Order, in a sense, is a priesthood. Certainly the Jedi Council taking on a ruling function. It's a little different, but again, there's something about that organized almost denominational mm-hmm. structure. There's something that, there that's, that it's a, does conflict a little a bit with those. Hierarchical, yeah. mm-hmm. political yes. something. Whereas if you go to the original trilogy, a master and his Padawan, that's one it. and two, that is how it always should be. There really is a sense within the whole saga, all mm-hmm. theoretically nine movies, that a Jedi council is mm-hmm. not a thing that should exist. How about a Jedi Academy? Maybe even worse? I don't know. There's... You know. Again, an organized structure. Jedi Temple, maybe that's a little different. I'm just thinking some of the other sort of parts of Jedi bureaucracy. Yeah. Almost. The, there, is, there is something there that's kind of antithetical yeah. to the idea of being a Jedi. Because what is the point of a hierarchy if not to affect change? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying that I side with Anakin. There are plenty of fedora-clad nerds on the internet who are more than happy to expound on how Anakin was totally right and that was the fulfillment of the prophecy and that's how things should be. I'm not saying that. But there's a logic there Mm -hmm. that the Jedi Council was a thing that had to be brought down. Anakin just did it really wrong. So are we living now in the Protestant Reformation era? Of the Jedi. There's actually some really interesting stuff about the religious history of the Jedi. And mm-hmm. I have not read a bunch of the ex- expanded universe novels. I haven't looked right. into much of the, the background history of Star Wars. I am not a full-time Star War. I have already <laughs> stated this. But I did see several articles about this that were linked to me because mm-hmm. many people know how much I love monks in space. <laughs> First, I saw an article about Kylo Ren. And, of course, there have been plenty of articles of Kylo mm-hmm. Ren is right, Kylo Ren is, is wrong, Kylo Ren is the best character we've ever had, and he's the worst. He's probably all of them. <laughs> but there is an article about his costume design. Another thing, which I have watched many, many hours of documentary <laughs> about. His costume design is largely based on a specific order of crusaders. From the Middle Ages. The Hospitallers. Mm -hmm. If you think he looks like the Black Knight, that's why. The Monty Python Black Knight is based on the Hospitallers. They had that heavy, cylindrical, slitted helmet, which 
we recognize, mm-hmm. the long black, long-sleeved tabard that was split and went to or even past the knees with the riding boots and the pants underneath and then your your symbol and your armor on your chest. Yeah, take that outfit and turn it silver and gray and you're getting pretty close. Kylo right. Ren thinks that he's a knight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then there was another article that talked about the pre-Empire history. And as far as I remember, completely, if there are Star Wars people out here who want to speak in from their vast wealth yes, of you're talking knowledge, second or third hand yeah, reporting. If anyone wants to bring in more detail and correct me on please this, do. please do. If I remember correctly, it's it was talking about basically a holy war that had happened, which, if I remember correctly, was basically the start of the Sith. That there was a faction of the Jedi who believed that they should be taking more direct action. That they should be trying to stop evil. And another sect of the Jedi said, that's not the point. We shouldn't be trying to affect things that way. And thus there was a split and a really violent holy war. That is where the original, if I remember, the original Knights of Ren were from. Was from Mm -hmm. this pre-Empire, pre-history. And... Ben Solo, feeling like he doesn't fit in in modern society, is looking back to a time long, long ago where there were knights and there was good and evil and things were simple and he's trying to bring it back. That he is a crusader. Which again, misses the point of being a Jedi. Uh I think that's kind of an, an, an interesting place to actually divide the the sith and the jedi and i think that's where they actually break down where people try to say like the sith are evil the jedi are good frankly neither one of them should be taking a moral stance and the story structure seems to suggest that they should be doing what ben and luke and yoda have done which is go off in the wilderness and Mm -hmm. meditate and leave the world to its own devices as we said Even Jedi mind tricks on a small scale, certainly on a larger scale, are, to use a nice modern word, problematic. Yep. You are overriding someone else's free will for what you think is a greater good. That leads to the dark side. So it isn't necessarily good and evil. The dark side does seem to be about accumulating power. So maybe there's something about power versus the laying down of power, which would be through, as you said, inaction in a positive sense or through contemplation. Maybe that should be. Or could be. Or could be where the Jedi-Sith division is in terms, it's, it's what you do with that, with that force. Do you accumulate power or do you lay down power? Not... Do you use power, quote-unquote, for good or, quote-unquote, for ill? Yeah. This is not to say that Jedi are pacifists. As I've said. No. Obi-Wan Kenobi is not above laying the pain down on a mofo. Well, again, in... He learned from Sam Jackson. He knows. <laughs> he knows the way. Well, in the real world, we do have examples of warrior monks. Or just in general, the idea of the monk does not have to be the hermit. There are Christian monks and and, and Buddhist monks and monks of of other religions that do take a contemplative hermit 
stance, but then also take a stance of interacting with the world. Mm-hmm. And, and various uh, religious orders have different functions, have, have different duties mm-hmm. uh, within that. And warrior monk is a thing. It is. There are entire abbeys and monasteries in Tibet and China which use martial arts as one of those means of meditation. It's very, very important in a monk's right to carry his staff at all times in case he needs to brain somebody who tries to take his stuff. There's a certain congruency there, Mm -hmm. I guess, of a warrior and a monk. And as I said earlier, of a crusader, of a religious warrior. But that's different from the Jedi Council. That's different from ruling. Yes. And that, I think, is a, a more interesting area in terms of separation of church and state, if you will, or the idea of the rulers and the religious. Should they be different? Should there be maybe some interaction? But maybe they shouldn't be 100% the same. Maybe they shouldn't be housed in the same building, like four <laughs> floors away from each other. To tie this back to that one documentary or article that I saw about Kylo Ren and his design, I did want to bring up for a a brief little sidebar his saber. And there have been Mm. some discussions about how the saber works. and Is it broken? Is it whatever? In the original trilogy, we hear that the saber is an old weapon from an elegant, Mm -hmm. long-distant time. According to this article, again based on my faulty memory. (laughs) It talked about that civil war within the Jedi Order that basically resulted in the the separation and the division. That that was one of the only times in history that it was Jedi versus Jedi. And that that was the the reasoning for the guards. Was Mm, that it was to catch a lightsaber. Because at no other point in history... Did Jedi need to protect themselves from a lightsaber? Because another Jedi was never going to try to harm you. Mm. I thought that that was a cool, a cool That's little tidbit. That's interesting, right? People have also talked about that his his lightsaber wasn't built properly, and that's like the venting channels. Mm-hmm. I'm personally of the opinion that it can be both. That mm-hmm. he tried to uh, finish his cosplay, if you will, <laughs> and kind of broke his saber in the process. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking about in terms of ruling, in terms of the idea of religious being rulers, and certainly that is something that we have seen throughout history, throughout history often not work, is that I like that the New Testament somewhat speaks against that in the idea is that it describes Christ as being prophet, priest, and king. And the implication is that there's no one else who can fulfill all three of those functions of speaking for God, serving others, and ruling. That that's a unique characteristic to him in the coming age, that he will be able to fulfill all of those functions. Again, the idea being that no one else can individually or or as a body, as an entity. And I think that's maybe a little bit of what the Jedi Council, Jedi leadership is somewhat falling into that error. Mm-hmm. That there is a function for the religious in society. It might not be 
to rule. Not to say power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, but But. tending towards that, that there is a seduction Mm -hmm. in the dark side of the force, in the accumulation of physical and political power and of control over the world around you, that that is not a thing that you should do. You should not be trying to control the world around you. You should Mm -hmm. let the world affect you. And as far as our perfect ideal example of (laughs) being corrupted by the Force, Darth Vader. We have a couple things going on, I think, with Darth Vader. One is somewhat what you were talking about in terms of this generational saga. You know, part of what Luke was trying to do was, as he said, fix some of the, the errors or the results of the errors of his father, Darth Vader. And... I think it was maybe a little bit of a stretched analogy, but one of the things I saw was someone sort of positing Darth Vader as Adam, fallen, bringing discord and sin sin and destruction and death into the world on a cosmic scale. And Luke, in his mission of restoration, as being the second Adam, again, fulfilling a, a bit of a Christ role there, and certainly bringing redemption to Vader. We do see that. Right. And I think that's that's one of the more interesting spiritual aspects of the story, is the apparent full redemption of Darth Vader after his repentance. He is welcomed into the afterlife, you know, with the other Jedi. He's honored as a as a Jedi. Now, we don't know if Sith also have Force ghosts. Now, we do not know that. We don't know the nature of the afterlife. We know that there is a little bit of one, and there is this ability to interact with each other and, to some extent, with the real world. Mm-hmm. Now, you, at one point, this is not related directly to Star mm-hmm. Wars, but mentioned a fantasy novel of some variety that you were reading that had to do with prophecy being connected to the dead. That prophecy had to do with piercing into the dead. And mm-hmm. that was how prophecy could happen because the dead exist outside of time and can tell you the past, present, and future all at once. Mm-hmm. In a way, that's sort of how the Force works. That it is a thing beyond the corporeal. Right. And thus, after death, the incorporeal is reintegrated into that great... Right. stream of extratemporal energy which is not the linear sequential existence that we're that we're living in but it, it brings an interesting question of whether or not non-jedi and sith exist in the force maybe they do but only sith can sense other sith like calls out to like and the jedi can only sense other jedi in the and, force. It, and is it something only that exists for force users? Is is this afterlife accessible? Only accessible yeah. to the small group of people. That does also bring up a uh, a question: Can Kylo Ren hear his grandfather? If Anakin mm-hmm. is in the Force, is he able to speak to his grandson? Actually, one of my favorite theories is that in 
Kylo Ren's moment where he's asking Han to help him because he's trying to do what needs to be done, but something is holding him back. One of my favorite headcanons is, that's Anakin. The thing that's holding him back is his grandfather, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't recognize him. Right. Well, of course he's confused, because all of a sudden... His grandpa has changed to Ewan McGregor all of a sudden. So he just totally doesn't recognize him anymore. Because he wasn't from the first... Maybe Darth Vader has two Force ghosts. The one that we saw hanging out with Yoda and Ben. In the the original cut Force ghost and the remastered Force ghost. And one's Sith and one's... All jokes aside. All jokes aside. I do like the idea... We know that he has a Force ghost. We know that they appear to their family members. That's not crazy. It's one of my personal favorite, like, positive Kylo Ren headcanons. Because there's so many headcanons and justifications and reasonings about why he's doing what he's doing. I'm like, no, he's doing what he's doing because he's an a-hole. But I like the idea that he thinks he's fulfilling his grandfather's quest. And his While grandfather is, is just, attempting to stop him. It's one of the greatest headcanons. that idea. It's one of the greatest webcomics that I've ever seen was, was that. Mm-hmm. of It was the scene where Kylo Ren is talking to the mask mm-hmm. and is saying, I will finish what you started, grandfather. And behind him, Force Ghost Anakin is being like held back bodily by some of the other force ghosts. And he's screaming, what did I do to deserve a rebellious, like... child like this and like Qui-Gon's holding him back and behind him Obi-Wan Kenobi is just shaking his head like these damn Skywalkers (laughs) well obviously we have just barely scratched the surface oh yeah in terms of darkness to light related topics as they come up in Star Wars but I think we've done a pretty good I think so overview of (laughs) A few, some of the big ones. I think some of the big, some of the big, big ones, questions. and some of the things that don't get talked about quite enough. Mm-hmm. So, and as Emily said, we certainly welcome any comments, feedback, yeah, further insights into Absolutely. into the extended Star Wars universe and chronology and continuity and all of that sort of thing. Certainly, if they're parts either of the official canon or the former canon or the new canon. All is welcome. <laughs> that is address some of these that you are familiar with. Feel free to let us know.
it's been a little while since we've had an episode, and we have gotten a bunch of feedback. So we're going to go through the entire jumbo-sized stack of your emails, faxes, and notes. First, we have some iTunes reviews that have come in. Three of them for a total of 15 stars. Bam! The Sutherlands titled their feedback, Excellent Discussions for the Religious Geek. Professor Allen and Emily of the Excellent Relatively Geeky Podcasts have another gem in this series about the religious aspects of all things geeky. The discussions are lively and insightful. Highly recommended. I like being recommended highly. Yes. Neil Stanifer, the Grammar Merchant, called the show Excellent Coverage and Commentary. I wasn't sure what to expect when I began listening to this podcast, but I've been consistently pleased with what I've gotten. Professor Allen and Emily put a lot of heart into every episode, digging around in the oft-neglected ground of religious symbolism, messages, themes, and references in a variety of comics. He then goes on to say that the shows are not sermons in disguise, and that you don't have to be totally in line with our opinions to enjoy them. As an atheist, I'm still hooked, eagerly anticipating whatever is served up next, whether it's John Constantine, The Spectre, or whatever. Treat yourself to a podcast that deals with comics from a different perspective than what you may have tried. You won't regret it. Hulk Carr also left the review. I don't know Hawk's secret identity, but I have heard him give feedback to other comic book shows recently. I loved the title of his review. Somewhat scholarly and still enjoyable. Surprisingly enjoyable. He didn't say surprisingly, but it's implied in every word he says. <laughs> I like being surprisingly enjoyable. <laughs> I've recently discovered this gem of a podcast, which looks at religious themes in the world of comic books and related media, such as the Daredevil series on Netflix. Professor Allen and Emily are well-versed in the world of comic books, hence the darkness, and in the world of religion, to light. They obviously have strong opinions in both areas, but neither is obnoxious, condescending, or judgmental. If you're interested in a somewhat scholarly, yet still enjoyable discussion of such themes, this is a show you'll enjoy. And you'll be surprised! Okay, he did not add that last part, but I think it was implied. We're only slightly snarky. We really appreciated this this commentary. Absolutely, thank you. And as he mentioned, the Daredevil show... We have now seen trailers for Season 2. Season 2 should be dropping almost the exact same time as this episode. Mm-hmm. So it looks like from those uh, released stills and clips that there will be more Father Lantern. Depending on what happens there, there might or might not be a full uh, second episode in the works. But either way, I'm sure we will find a way to discuss his presence on the show and the show itself. Oh, Definitely. And on to email. We heard from new listener Matt Apps. Matt hosts a podcast related to the character Steel, the Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast. Dear Emily and Professor Allen, good day. Emily has not allowed me to use my awesome Australian accent. Do, do you mean British? Occasionally it moves over to some they, they might be the mildly same. Canadian, Welsh, Australian, New Zealand. Okay, Matt, I will give the boring Midwest accent, but know that he has an awesome Australian accent. Which is much better than anything that we could create on this show. Good day. 
I recently learned of your show while listening to the 200th episode of From Crisis to Crisis. I immediately used the link that Michael Bailey put on his website, downloaded the episodes. I have to say that I love this podcast. Being a Christian as well as a self-confessed geek, this is just the kind of show I can really enjoy. It's great hearing what other geeks have to say about spirituality and pop culture. In fact, when the subject occasionally comes up on my show, it's something I enjoy examining. Before I go, have either of you heard of the website comicbookreligion.com? It's an interesting site that names the faiths of characters from comics to cartoons and sci-fi shows. Well, I gotta go. Thanks for your time and thanks for your show. Yours sincerely, Matthew Apps. Glad to have you on board, Matt. And I think when we were doing the Hanukkah episode, we did use that site there to look for some Jewish characters on the thought that maybe there'd been some Hanukkah-related episodes. This show, based on who we are, tends to be biased both towards Judeo-Christian philosophy and DC Comics. (laughs) So we tried really hard to see if we could find any story that Marvel Kitty had Pride, produced. Ben Grimm. So Anyone, they, there but, are characters, but we couldn't... But they haven't done a specific... A right. story that was as specifically Hanukkah in its mm-hmm. themes and metaphors and events. But obviously, yes, given our interests, and I have used that website a couple of times so It's a very useful well. resource. Mm-hmm. Bradley Null wrote in with his thoughts on our Spectre episode. Dear Middle People. I like that one. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of DC weirdness, magical superheroes, and the JSA. So the Spectre is one of my favorites. I enjoyed your coverage of the character. You even gave me a story to look up. The Exodus filler issue is one I've not read. There's a two-issue mini that came out in 2000 called DC Comics 2000, which has some of the best Fate Spectre stuff I've ever read. Sadly, the rest of the series is inconsistent. My favorite version of the Spectre is Hal Jordan. As a Green Lantern fan, the idea of Space Cop replacing Beat Cop was perfection. You know, I've never actually thought about that concept, but that really does sort of put it really in perspective why, why it fit for that character so well. I loved every issue of the Spectre series that Hal starred in. The Vengeance Spirit turned to Redemption Spirit was a mind-blowingly great story. I haven't read the newer version as I was avoiding all things Gotham at the time. But when it comes out in trade, I will buy it on your recommendation. Nice. However, you two did miss two really great versions of the Spirit of Vengeance. First, the version who brings Reverend McKay into the Kingdom Come story. Now, we will be covering Kingdom Come along with a podcast superstar on a different podcast later in the year. So I hope we'll be getting into that and maybe can revisit this part that Bradley's talking about. And secondly... Bradley mentions the Spectre from the DC Animated Shorts. It's on three different DC Animated DVDs, set up much more like a 70s TV cop show. It's one of my favorite things ever animated. The Spectre, as 70s TV cop, is a winner on many levels. I agree with Bradley entirely that the, uh, I believe they're the DC Showcase Animated DVDs, mm-hmm. and they are awesome. Each one is like a 20 or 30 minute short movie or long TV episode that can focus on an unknown or lesser known character from DC. You know, someone like Green Arrow. (laughs) See, you don't stay B-list forever. Yeah, the DVDs were made (laughs) about six years ago, and they're awesome. And they did a really pretty good job about combining them, because you'll have 
usually three characters on each mm-hmm. DVD. And the one with the Spectre also has Jonah Hex. I don't oh. remember who the third is. But I just remember that DVD being, like, tailor-made for me. <laughs> like, yes, weird western and supernatural beat cop and whoever the third person on the DVD. Yeah. It might have actually been Arrow, so. <laughs> but Bradley is absolutely right. That is an awesome, awesome DVD. He concludes, thanks for the show, Bradley Null. Now, that is one of the nice things about a character being more than 75 years old. There are lots and lots of versions to consider. Mm-hmm. Now, that might drive some fans of some properties crazy, but I don't mind different perspectives, different takes, different versions of characters that I like. Mm-hmm. At least for us, it means that you can find a version that you'll probably like. Exactly. And just ignore the ones that you don't like. Right. That, there's no, nothing wrong with that. Bradley also wrote in on episode three, confessing that he downloaded both on the same day. Lucky me, two episodes in one day. Sorry, the holiday slowed me down a bit. Love your coverage of my favorite DC Hanukkah story. I'm less fond of the other one. Yeah, that is part of the problem. Yeah. There are pretty much only two that we found. And I have heard that the other one... Not that great. Not that great. So I think we made the right choice. He says, thanks for the thought-provoking and fun shows. Happy Holy Days, Bradley Null. Thanks again, Brad. Our next email comes from Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, Hendrix, who wished us a happy holidays. Emily and Alan, I wanted to take a moment and wish you both a Merry Christmas, since that's what you celebrate, and a joyous 2016. Thank you, Gene. I think that you both can be very proud of what you've done in so short a time on this show, and that you have quite the varied listener base. I'd say that it's a testament to how you approach the material that people of all religious stripes can listen, enjoy, and be educated by your episodes. Also, Emily... I can perfectly understand mixing up polytheism and pantheism, since I'm sure most of the pagans you've come across are of the eclectic variety, people that take gods and practices from a variety of sources, usually without much regard for their background. I happen to be a reconstructionist, meaning I attempt to practice as close to the way things were actually done historically. This is also known as religion with homework, since we need to have some basis for the way we do things. Enjoy the holidays, and I'm looking forward to the next episode, Gene. This idea of recovering ancient practices is a a small but, I hope, growing aspect of modern evangelicalism. I use the phrase ancient modern to describe that, and it's an attitude that I like to take. I think Emily is pretty much on that wavelength, too. So we and Jean can take a similar stance towards our different faiths. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Me with my sociological degree... (laughs) I get very annoyed at people who say that religion, especially, really, honestly, religions like genes, where you're trying to Mm -hmm. reconstruct truly ancient practices. People say that it's archaic, barbaric, worn out, useless, irrelevant. It It frustrates me because I'm like, religion as a whole provides a social function. I I do think that that's sort of interesting, that that need for Mm -hmm. reconnecting with an older traditional ritualistic sort of relationship in one's spiritual life can be felt by people regardless of what that religion actually is. Mm-hmm. And I love the phrase religion with homework. We thoroughly endorse doing your homework <laughs> the, on your religion. Yeah, the, the New Testament 
uses the phrase working out one's salvation with fear and trembling. And I've sort of always thought about that in modern terms of just taking your own faith seriously. Mm-hmm. And and I respect I respect Gene for doing that. I, res- I respect that take on one's on one's faith journey. We also heard from Chad Bokelman, noted fan of Ragman. Alan and Emily. First off, let me just say how much I'm enjoying the show. I was a tad concerned that a podcast involving religion would run the risk of becoming preachy at some point or another. I listened to the first episode enthusiastically regardless, because I figured if those two are handling it, it's going to be fine. That is nice. My trust was well-founded. I do encourage you to delve deeper into the theological, philosophical ideas and debates should the mood strike. Abstract thought within the confines of religion is a wonderful and sadly all-too-rare thing. Within the context of pop culture, it could prove interesting. I've been kicking around this idea for a while. Conceptually, I really like the way that we've structured dorkness. Unlike relatively geeky, the the gimmick there is that we are blood relatives. Mm-hmm. The whole point of that is that it's you and me, generation right. gap. But with dorkness, we have a little bit more flexibility. Right. That theoretically, if you wanted to release a solo episode, or if I mm-hmm. did, or if we were to bring in various guests in some form of roundtable, right. that there isn't really a, a hosting component that's mm-hmm. vital to right. the concept. So I've been meaning for a while to record on my iPhone me ranting about <laughs> some some dumb thing that I saw or you know, quick gut reactions mm-hmm. to various things. Because I am a theological nerd. means I am full of theological nerd rage. <laughs> Which we do want to keep on the DL. I like people Somewhat, thinking, but I, yeah, I, I like I, people I thinking that. that we are thoughtful, insightful, even-handed, reasonable I, podcasters. I mean, I do think we wanted to sort of lay down some markers, lay down a groundwork, even some format for our first handful of episodes. But certainly there are different places that we can go. And Actually, do agree with Chad. We we we've kicked around some of our ideas are more on the theological or church history side. Some are a little more pop culture, and 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 we will probably move. I think back and forth some, and as you said, perhaps throw in some differently formatted episodes as well. And I also want to throw this out as a little pseudo teaser, an episode I really want to do at some point. That would be one of these. Less structured, more conversational, free, more, more freewheeling free sort of discussion. Episodes. Do want to have a talk at some point about religious headcanons, because Ooh, I like to use the phrase wow. Jesus fandom mm-hmm. a lot. It's actually the tag for everything that has to do with modern Christianity. If you go to our Tumblr page and search for Jesus fandom, that's what's in there. But it really is a fandom with headcanons and shipping wars and fanons all of that stuff is actually going on there it just gets this official title of church history you could argue various either denominations or just various theological you know starting points do have some of this fandom aspect with the concomitant fan rage <laughs> that goes along with it that Indeed. that that does a uh, that does define some debates throughout church history, including some modern ones, including some ancient ones. I'm just going to throw this including out. Including St. Nicholas. Ugh. Every Jesus fan's P 
patron saint, I don't care what your denomination is, is St. Nicholas, heretic puncher. And I can sum this whole thing up in one word. Homo Iawusis. Google it. But spell it right. That makes all the difference. Isn't it the letter U? It's that the I. The I that makes Homo-iosis. all the difference. Homo Iawusis. Nerds. Back to chat, okay? As for ideas, I know something involving Ragman has to be on your short list. The character is not only Jewish, his whole mythology is rooted in Judaism, the folklore of the golem. I was actually thinking the topic of golem stories. X-Files has done one. There are various other, you know, sci-fi and horror type of shows that have done golem myth stories. And speaking of the true dearth of Hanukkah stories, the only show that I can think Uh of that has a Hanukkah Ah. episode is Warehouse 13. There you go. Which has a very, very Jewish main character played, of course, by Saul Rabinick. And they have an episode about golems. And they have an episode about getting together and reconnecting with your family at Hanukkah. Perfect. I'm pretty sure that the uh, (laughs) power ends up going out in the station and they're worried that the whole universe is going to implode or something. But they get more um, techno science. Then Chad wants to add to our ever-growing fan suggestion. Fear not. I have many, many suggestions. But I'm only going to give you one. The current Dark Side War from DC Comics. It follows the Justice League, and the members are given the powers of gods. And as you can imagine, the struggle of a mortal to deal with the gift of godlike power is interesting. In particular, the Green Lantern issue, which we just covered on the Lantern cast as I type this. Slick, Chad. Slick. Yeah, I haven't heard much about Dark Side War at all, good or bad, or even what the plot was. I heard that it was a thing that was happening and i'd heard it was not terribly great as far as actual storytelling but it's also possible that the people i heard this from just aren't mm-hmm. really interested in the same sorts of concepts that we are where we find that conceptually interesting but if only we had someone who could keep her eye on it if the trade were to show up at, at her library, library work a mm. place of employment Hmm. I'll keep an eye out, but I get the feeling from what I've heard of Dark Side War that it is an interesting concept and mediocre Mm -hmm. execution. Right. Chad continues by talking about his own spiritual history. I consider myself a Christian. I was raised with Missouri Synod Lutheran in Central Texas and enjoyed church. even went so far as to become kind of a youth leader, or maybe more of a youth leader right-hand man. I'm just going to point this out. If you're a youth leader, you are a youth ringleader. Trying to get 16-year-olds to sit down in church is like herding cats. He says, growing up, my sister and I attended the traditional 8 a.m. service. But as we got older, that got boring and repetitive. So we started going to the contemporary 10.30 service. More free form, more upbeat, louder. Well, because my dad still went to 8 and we went to 10.30, he got involved in the church more and more and attended more of the committee meetings, which we sat in on. And it just made me sad. Grown adults who not 30 minutes ago were singing and smiling in church, intently listening to the sermon and grabbing the inspiration that God gave them, suddenly screaming and hollering across the aisle at one another about things like money and who gets it and why. It all seemed small and petty and hypocritical. That opened my eyes and I couldn't just deal with the organized 
aspect of organized Christianity anymore. I felt more of God when I went for a long walk in the country. Surrounded by the hypocrisy, it felt like more of an act. So I haven't been back to church much since. I still believe, but my belief lacks a structure because the one I taught as a child no longer feels right. All of that is to say how much I appreciate your show. I thank you two for bringing a kind of aspect of religious consideration back into my life via my geek interests. All the best, Chad. I've got to say at least 50% of the people in America between the ages of 18 and 28 have this exact story. This is a millennial story. Absolutely. This, This is the same reason that I left organized religion pretty much in totality for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard that from a lot of people of looking into the, I guess, the seedy underside mm-hmm. of your childhood tradition and sort of realizing that the things you were taught as a child weren't necessarily true. They didn't hold true the way that you thought they did. Mm-hmm. And that it's a, it's a rough awakening Mm -hmm. and i think then for a lot of people the decision of whether or not they're ever going to come back is based on how they rationalize that and their ability to separate the human infighting from the goal Mm -hmm. i suppose Mm -hmm. and i'm still working on this myself trying to figure out what i'm going to be doing in a structural sense right because I, I still attend your church occasionally. Right. And so it's... You went to a different church for Christmas Eve? I did. Service, I went, which was interesting. I went to an awesome uh, Episcopalian church for Midnight Mass on Christmas. And that was awesome in the proper sense. <laughs> sort of going along with the ancient modern. That right. there's a... Well, this when... might be where a large push for that... that ancient desire is coming from of let's go back to before there was all this hierarchical built-in synods and and try and get back to those early meditative reflective practices when we visit your mom's family Mm. right nearby is a presbyterian church that has an ancient celtic style service yes that is that you know again also we get there a couple times a year perhaps yeah but that's a, a, a again, you know, seeking something that's not the prepackaged American evangelicalism. Yeah, I understand that. Thank you, Chad, for this. We, we've gotten a number of similarly honest and, and vulnerable emails, and I can't say just how meaningful that is to us. Was it? We 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 really appreciate that, Chad. And we're not saying this just to butter ourselves up or to butter you up, but. This is a feedback section. That's kind of the point. We have really good listeners. Yeah. Including Neil Stanifer, who wrote in to thank us for another excellent episode of Darkness to Light. I was very pleased to hear you cover one of the rare holiday stories dealing with Hanukkah. I've often wondered why we see so few references to Jewish culture in an industry which owes such a huge debt to Jewish creators and publishers. I agree with Emily that many American Jews, especially during and after the Depression, prefer to play their cards close to their chests. Mm-hmm. I consider this anti-Semitism an enduring black eye on the face of American history, but at least it serves as a lesson for us all, assuming we bother to learn it. Also, thanks for giving me a chuckle with your reference to the holiday tropes most in need of a long rest. 
the Christmas Carol ripoffs, and the nativity tropes. These stories endure for a reason, of course, but they are trotted out so often, and usually in such unimaginative ways, that the mere hint of them can be cringeworthy. The only chestnut hoary enough to inspire more groans is the Adam and Eve story. <laughs> you know the one I mean. A man and a woman survive a disaster, usually in outer space, that strands them in a strange paradise where they are forced to start the human race anew. This trope misses on all the cylinders. <laughs> Every time I see it, whether in a classic sci-fi story or an X-Men comic, I am forced to scream, That's not what the Eden story is about! You have just failed all of the biology classes! I would have to defer to Gene on this one, but mm. isn't that more the Ragnarok story? Uh, the world is destroyed, everything plunges into chaos, nothing survives except new man and woman who continue the cycle. But both I and Neil digress. <laughs> I just wanted to express my continued enjoyment of your podcast and wish the two of you and your family a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, and a belated Grump von Krampus. <laughs> Toss in a happy new year to the end. Season's greetings, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Now, Neil included a PS on that that asked if we've thought of looking at the overlap of religion, theology, and RPG gaming. He says Ooh, he'd, okay. <laughs> he, he, he says he'd recently shifted some old gaming materials and stumbled across his first edition advanced D&D, Deities and Demigods. And it got him thinking about that. Then Neil and I went back and forth a little bit on the topic, as we tend to always do whenever he writes in. It's usually it's a uh, thing. three or four or five more emails in the chain. But I told him that I thought RPG gaming was really interesting, because like a lot of fantasy works, and almost all horror movies, they recognize the existence of a realm beyond what we see. That's just part of the genre. Spiritual forces, prophecy, destiny, a chosen one. Those all sound pretty congruent with the religious faith to me. One of the few Christian geek podcasters I think is worth listening to regularly comments that the Bible is full of fantasy and sci-fi elements and that the American church hurts itself tremendously by not making a place for its geeks, who are probably its most imaginative and creative members. And the fact that Gary Gygax himself privately identified as a Christian is also a fascinating aspect of all of this. He didn't do it publicly for fear of stoking even more controversy from that wing of the church. Yeah, you don't need to actually get called an capital A Antichrist <laughs> yeah. in 1981. So I always sort of turn this idea around. And to me, the question is not how Christians could ever enjoy such material as fantasy, horror, or gaming always wondered how materialists could enjoy this material that is so at odds with their underlying beliefs and philosophies. Mm. Went back and forth uh, with Neil, and, and his reply uh, to that included, What a loss when a narrow-minded and simplistic version of religion squares off against imagination and fun. Everyone loses. But apart from that dark and mercifully brief period in American culture, I can safely say I've shared gaming tables with atheists, Christians, Buddhists, New Agers, Wiccans, and at least one Muslim. Not to gild the lily, but I think gaming, properly considered, is a playground and a testing ground for new ideas. Any ideas. He then told a story about using church history 
as a jumping off point for the world building of one of his campaigns. Really interesting things that uh, we went back and forth on. Now, frankly, this is a great idea. We should absolutely dig more into this deeply. But I wanted to point out that at one point in my brief history when I was DMing, (laughs) considering possibly trying to get back into it now through pressures from the roommate, but my original plan was to do genre-style one-shots or a sort of extended mini-campaigns. So the first one was going to be like Ghostbusters-inspired, supernatural ghost fighter for hire people. Then I was going to do one that was all avian-based and two that were Mm deity-based because I'd just read the Pathfinder Bestiary Expansion 3, which is about 60% (laughs) undead and divine creatures. And there were all sorts of extra planar beings and creatures that were very similar to angels that were sort of light-based beings, but also all sorts of varieties of kami and shinigami. All of the Hindu gods were listed in there, uh, as well as a variety of uh, jinn, all sorts of really cool supernatural stuff. And really sad that that never came to be, because I... I wanted to dig into my <laughs> theological, nerd, geek, religious self, and maybe one day. <laughs> Neil also wrote in with a few suggestions for us, including The Sixth Gun from Oni Press, which I've regularly heard good things about. I think they were kicking around at TV, an option for TV a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but I don't think that, that came to pass. Uh, but Neil says it's a supernatural western, so naturally I thought of you two when I read it, and especially Emily, who's talked about weird westerns. I won't spoil anything, but I thought it was a pretty satisfying read with good character development, colorful villains, and some decently affecting moments. He also mentioned a few things by Garth Ennis, and I don't know that I've read a lot by him, but I have always appreciated his willingness to address topics. That hit a supernatural in theology, so I do think there's probably some things there for us to for us to get into. Well, I mean, preachers on my list. There you so, go. And the AMC preacher show appears mm-hmm. to be moving forward. Right. People keep yeah. asking me why aren't you watching Lucifer on Fox? Like because I'm waiting for Preacher on AMC, <laughs> the actual heir to yeah. the Constantine TV show. <laughs> And I've not heard much at all about Lucifer, and certainly nothing good. Yeah, I think the most I've heard was from Bob Fisher, who said, meh. That seems to sum up what I've heard about it as well. Well, that empties out our inbox for now. Again, thanks everyone for listening, for one thing, and those of you who sent uh, feedback and iTunes reviews or or emails or smoke signals, whatever method we've been communicating, we really appreciate it. As Emily said, we have great listeners. And so our episode comes to a close with perhaps the most appropriate use of our ending tag, may the force be with you. And also with you. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. 
and dorkdistelight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Clips and additional music used in this episode are from various parts of the Star Wars saga and are copyright John Williams and Lucasfilm. Thanks for listening.